Go to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 15 through 21 tonight. Matthew 12, verses 15 through 21. It says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. But a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. That's as far as we're going to get tonight, because there's a lot here in this passage. As you see, our passage for this week starts with, it says that Jesus was aware of the fact. What was he aware of? Does anybody know what he was aware of? Exactly, that the Pharisees were after him. You see in the verse before, the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him there in verse 14. So he was aware of the fact that the Pharisees were trying to kill him, and he withdrew from there. Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus withdrawing, because he heard and he was aware that they were trying to kill him, was Jesus afraid? Is that why he, he, he withdrew? No, the answer is obviously no, but let me show you from Scripture why the answer is no. Go to John chapter 19. And look at verses 10 and 11. In John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11, Jesus is standing before Pilate. And Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So the Pilate stands there and threatens him pretty much. He says, don't you realize I have the authority to have you put to death or released? And Jesus calmly looked at him and said, you wouldn't have any authority over me unless my father had given it to you. My eyes are on the father. I'm not worried about you. All right. But there's also another thing. Go to John chapter 10. Look at verses 11 through 18. John chapter 10. Look at verses 11 through 18. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who, is a, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, and just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Listen closely. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So Jesus again here clearly is saying nobody's going to be able to kill me. They don't take my life. I lay it down. So he wasn't afraid that they might kill him, and that's why he was staying away. Go to John chapter 11. Look at verses 5 through 16. John chapter 11, verses 5 and following, uh, Jesus is speaking, and he, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now see, seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, 
because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the light, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Here again, Jesus is heading back to Jerusalem at that time in Judea. And as he's heading into Judea, the uh, disciples are like, don't you realize when we were there last, they tried to kill you? Are you you really going to? They were afraid. But Jesus says, uh, I walk when it's light. In other words, and you're going to see this a little bit later on tonight. I only do what the Father tells me to do when the Father tells me to do it. You guys are still looking at things with man's eyes. I look at things with the Father's eyes. And folks, listen to me. There is no safer place to be in your whole world, in your whole life, than the center of God's will. There is no safer place to be. You know where I'd be afraid for you? Is if you step out of the will of God in your life. But if you're in the center of His will, He could have you in some of the roughest parts of the globe. But if you're in the center of His will, He's got you. Does that mean you won't die? No, that doesn't mean that at all. But at the same time, if we really, truly trust that we have given our lives to the Father and that He's good and He's perfect, His plan is good. And I'm preaching to myself because my family will tell you one of the biggest things I struggle with is worry of danger or something bad might happen. But Jesus wasn't afraid when He withdrew from there. Go back to Matthew chapter 12. The question then is, if He wasn't afraid, why did He withdraw when He knew of their plot to kill Him? Now there's lots of answers to this question. But we're going to deal with the answers that are given us in this passage. The answers here are here in verses 16 and 17. The first thing I want to show you is in verse 16. In verse 16, we see that as Jesus healed people, he ordered them not to make him known. Now, before we get on to verse 17, we're going to spend a little time right here. Because that jumped off the page at me once again. If you've been with us in our study of Matthew, we've already seen a couple of times that Jesus would do a miracle. He'd heal somebody and then he'd say, don't tell anybody. Of course, that didn't mean that they wouldn't tell people, because a lot of times, even though he commanded them not to, the people still did. But I began to do a little study, and the Spirit of God began to speak to me, and began, let me just share with you, what he showed me blew my mind. You would not believe how many times Jesus would do a miracle and say, don't tell anyone. Or he would keep people from telling other people who he was. And we're just going to look at a few of them. And when I say a few, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine passages that we're going to go look at right now that illustrate this, and I'm not doing all of them. But I want you to stick with me here, because as I prayed at the beginning, before we started our recording, I want you to understand that where we're about to go, goes in 180 degrees from what we've been taught in the church. And I pray that God begins to open your eyes to refocus on what we're to be looking at, what we're to be focusing on in the church, because we've been taught to focus and measure things that the Bible doesn't teach. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8. I want to just take you through a quick journey to see how often Jesus would not let people talk about what he was doing. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. It says, When he came down from the mountain, Great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. 
And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, I desire, if you will, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So here Jesus said, I've just done this big miracle. Don't tell anybody about it. Go to Matthew chapter 9. Look at verses 27 through 31. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout that district. Again, Jesus does this miracle, and then he strictly, sternly says, don't tell anyone. Now, he wasn't doing one of those reverse psychology things, which we a lot of times will try on our kids, because you know our kids are always going to rebel. I've done, told people that for years. Your kids always want to rebel against you, so I, I've acted weird, so they'll act normal. All right? That's the way I've been all my whole life, and my family will tell you, it's true. We don't want to be like Dad. So, but at the same time, this isn't reverse psychology. Jesus is saying, don't tell anybody when he wants them. He really didn't want them to tell anybody. Go to Matthew 17. Look at verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, this is after Jesus was transfigured. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. You can't tell anybody what you just saw, he told Peter, James, and John, until after I've risen from the dead. Go to Mark chapter 1. Look at verses 21 through 28. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. And they... Sorry, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him and they were all amazed and they questioned among themselves saying what is this a new teaching and with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee so here again a demon comes out of a man or as he's coming out the demons are speaking and they're saying we know who you are you're the son of God you're the holy one of Israel you're the one that was prophesied about and Jesus said shut up be silent Look at Mark chapter 1, verses 32 and 30, through 34. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. You starting to get a picture here? Something's interesting here. Jesus is not advertising. But haven't we been taught to advertise? Oh, just stick with me here. We're going somewhere. Go to Mark chapter 3. Look at verses 7 through 12. Mark chapter 3, verse 7. When Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea 
and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. There it is again. Go to Mark 5. Look at verses 41 through 43. Mark 5, verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. There it is again. It's not like he's doing it once in a while. It's almost like he's doing it every single time. Are you starting to see it? Well, keep going. Go to Mark 7. Look at verses 31 through 37. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and Sidon, and, sorry, Tyre, and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And he, taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, uh, touched, the touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epithatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Again, he commanded them not to tell anybody, but they did. Let me just say something real quick. All of creation must instantly obey when Jesus speaks, because he's God. He cursed the fig tree, it withered. He commanded the demons to come out, they did. He commanded the wind and the waves to be still, and everybody was amazed, because they said, even the wind and the waves obey him. Don't let anybody tell you that man doesn't have a choice whether or not they're going to be saved. The Bible's real clear that every man has a responsibility and a choice to say yes or no. When he speaks, you can resist the will of God and the grace of God. Man is the only part of creation that has the ability to say yes or no. Go to Mark chapter 8. Look at verses 22 through 30. Mark chapter 8, verse 22, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and did what? Let him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, Don't even enter the village. Just go straight home. Keep reading. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you're the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Folks, I don't know if this is jumping out at you like it did to me. Because I began to start to realize, wait a minute. Most of the time, Jesus said, don't tell anybody. He would do a miracle, and he wouldn't tell. So why this type of behavior? I'm not going to give you the full answer just yet, because remember, I told you the answer to the question of why he wouldn't 
uh, he told him not to tell anyone. The answer is in verse 16 and 17. Let's keep going. Let's go back to verse 17. Matthew chapter 12, verse 17. After we saw he ordered them not to make him known, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Remember, he withdrew from there. Many followed him and he healed them all and he ordered them not to make him known. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. So we're trying to deal with this question. Why did he withdraw? He wasn't afraid. Why did he just leave that area when he knew the Pharisees, Pharisees were plotting to kill him? Was it because he was afraid? No, the answer is not afraid. But at the same time, like I told you, there's lots of reasons. There's many levels of what God's doing. If anybody ever says to you, oh, I know what God's doing, they just shown their ignorance. Because God does more than just one thing. I can see saying, I see something of what God may be doing, but we don't know all that he's doing. But there's some answers in our passage. First off, we see in verse 16 that he healed them all and then he ordered them not to make him known. And then we see in verse 17, this is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 42. In Isaiah 42, let me read to you again from verses 1 through 9. It's going to sound similar to what we just read in Matthew. In Isaiah 42, and keep a bookmark here because you're going to come back to it in just a second. It says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the Lord God who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open eyes that are blind, and to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So here we see that this is where Matthew is saying that uh, the fulfillment is, is happening. It's from Isaiah 42. He's going to be one of these preachers who's not going to be standing out in the streets screaming. He's going to be quiet and humble. He's not going to try to draw crowds. Do you ever notice this goes against everything we've been taught? Hasn't the church been taught to focus on drawing crowds? Aren't we been taught to focus on how we could grow our church? How we can get more people here? How can we do events to get more and more people to come? And it sounds great. It sounds spiritual. It sounds like a good thing. I mean, good grief. Jim, don't you think God would want more people to hear? Don't you think the better we come up with strategies to reach people, the better things will be? But folks, it goes against how Jesus worked. Jesus moved away from the crowds. We try to draw them. 
Jesus did miracles and then he didn't advertise them. We advertise them and don't do them. Jesus rested in the power of God's word and the effectiveness of the spirit, as we saw last week. We trust in the power of marketing companies and strategies. Go to John chapter 7. Jesus had an interesting conversation in John chapter 7 with his brothers in verses 1 through 5. In John chapter 7, look at verses 1 through 5. It says, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He wouldn't go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews, feast of the booths, was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus' brothers making fun of him, because at that point, they didn't believe in him. As some of you hopefully know, his brothers started to come to faith later on, probably through the cross and all that. We see that his brothers were in the upper room in the 120 while they were waiting there for the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, one of his brothers, James, we call him his half-brother because, you know, Joseph made James and the father made Jesus, but his half-brother James wrote the book of James. His half-brother Jude wrote the book of Jude. I mean, his brothers eventually came to faith. But at this time, they don't believe in him. But they say, mocking him a little bit, why are you hiding out here in Galilee? Why don't you go to the feast in Judea and Jerusalem? If you seek to be known openly, this is your chance to go draw a crowd. And Jesus' answer is, it's not how I work. Actually, it's not how my father works. I don't want you to miss what was said in the prophecy from Isaiah. Go back to Matthew chapter 12, verses 18, and look at verse 21. There's something here that's going to help us kind of go deeper to what I'm trying to get to tonight. In Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 18 and verse 21. It says, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to who? To the Gentiles. Look at verse 21. And in his name, the who? The Gentiles will hope. Well, hang on for a second. Go back and let's double check that against Isaiah 42. You know, maybe Matthew's quoting it wrong. By the way, if you think Matthew might have quoted it wrong, you don't understand the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and then every, verse, and every word is God-breathed. Look at Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the Jews only. Is that what it says? No, it says to the nations. That's where they get the Gentiles. It says in verse 4, he won't grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the whole earth. Look at verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people and a light for the nations. Again, Gentiles. Not just the Jews. But doesn't Jesus himself say that he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel? Right? Isn't that true? I mean, if you don't know what I'm talking about, quickly turn to Matthew 15. You're in Matthew 12. Go to Matthew 15. Look at verses 21 through 28. It says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. 
And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Isn't that interesting? He said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Keep reading. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. I'm not going to break this passage down for you tonight because we're going to do that when we get to Matthew 15. But for now, I want you to see this. Jesus himself said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Yet the prophecy said that God's going to use this man, Jesus, this God man, Jesus, and he's going to proclaim justice to the Gentiles. And in his name, the Gentiles are going to hope. The prophecy did say that he came to his own and didn't receive him in John 1. Listen closely to what I want you to hear. Because this is going to help us to get where we got off. And why the church today is trying to draw crowds. Why the church today is trying to get as many people as we can. Instead of being faithful to what only the Father tells us to do like Jesus did. You see, God is so big and so powerful... He can use you to reach people that he didn't even send you to directly. I've learned over the years as I go out and I try to walk in the spirit and try to listen to who God wants me to go talk to and when. And there are a lot of times I want to talk to people and God says, not yet. And sometimes God says, not ever. But Lord, they need to hear. Lord, I see stuff that you've shown me and I want to tell them. And he says, that's not for you to talk about it. I showed you so you'll pray. And a lot of times when I go to meet with some people that I believe God leads me to go talk to them, I didn't realize till afterwards that it really wasn't about that encounter, but the person in the, the, the restaurant seat next to me who was listening. Let me show you scripturally what I'm talking about. Go to Romans chapter 15. Look at verses 8 and 9. Again, stick with me here. I'm going to give you a little clue towards where we're headed. As you go to Romans 15 verses 8 and 9, I want you to hear something. God has the big picture in mind of how he wants to do his work. Is the big picture... Up to us? What are we to be faithful to do? The little thing that he's asked us to do. But what we've done is we have taken the role of God, and in our churches today, we try to come up with a big picture plan. How can we reach our neighborhood? You ever heard that kind of preaching? How can we reach everyone on our streets? How can we reach everyone out there. And we now try to come up with plans to accomplish the big picture. And I'm going to show you scripturally. God says, you leave the big picture to me. The big picture is mine. I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against, won't prevail against it. I'm going to do my work and I've got my purpose and my plan and my time. And I just want you to do what I've asked you to do. I never gave you the responsibility of coming up with a plan to reach everybody. And especially us Southern Baptists have been trained in that. Or we've got our strategies and where haven't we reached yet and where and it sounds great it sounds spiritual and if you'll stick with me tonight i'm going to show you from scripture it's pulled us out of the abiding relationship and we're out there killing ourselves trying to accomplish god's work when he said that's never been how i work if you notice that we've already looked at he didn't advertise he told him not to tell some of you have got a question i know what you're thinking but you gotta wait i'll get to that in my notes in just a second but in romans 15 look at verses 8 and 9 for I tell you that Christ became a servant to who? The circumcised, the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that who? 
the Gentiles might glorify God. Do you see it? There it is again. God used Jesus and he sent them, him to the Jews only in order that the Gentiles may hear. That's interesting. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Look at verses 5 and 6, and then we're going to jump to verses 16 through 20. In Matthew chapter 10, look at verses 5 and 6. Jesus sends his disciples out two by two when he first sends them out. These 12, the apostles, he sent them out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So it's pretty clear his instructions. They're not to go to the Gentiles. They're not to go to the Samaritans. They're to go only to the lost sheep of Israel. Correct? Look at verse now 16 through 20. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and who? In other words, God said to them, Jesus said, look, I'm going to send you to the Jews only. But what about the Gentiles? Lord, don't you care about the Gentiles? Relax. The big picture's mine. You just do what I've asked you to do. Oh, and by the way, I'll give you a little hint of how I work. I, my ways aren't your ways and your ways aren't my ways. Um, but as you go to the Jews only and you go preach in their synagogues and you tell them about me, they're going to get mad. And they're going to drag you before the governors and the kings and you're going to end up preaching before the Gentiles. So we're going to end up preaching to the Gentiles, but you send us to the Jews. Yep. Kind of makes our plan stupid, doesn't it? Because we got all these strategies and all these things. And how can we tell more people? How can we get a bigger crowd? How can we grow our church? You ever heard anybody say that in your churches? How can we grow our church? According to the Bible, whose job is it to grow the church? Go real quickly. You're going to get something that's not in my notes. Go to Acts chapter 2. Go to Acts chapter 2. Look at verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, their proceeds to all and, to any, and as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Did you catch that? They were to focus on four things. Can anybody tell me what the four things they were told to focus on right there in this passage? The teaching of, of the apostles, the breaking of the bread, which means the Lord's Supper, prayer, fellowship. I didn't hear evangelism in there. I didn't hear evangelism, did you? No, they were to focus on the apostles' teaching, the Word of God. They were to focus on the Lord's Supper, being reminded regularly of why they were together. They were to focus on praying, and they were to focus on fellowship. And when they did that, the Lord added to their number daily. Go to Acts chapter 1. Jumping ahead a little bit in my notes here. Of course, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to cover something along this line in my notes. But God just kind of brought it to my mind. So in Acts chapter 1, look at verse 8. We all know this passage. It says, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus said to him, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. By the way, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the power, until you receive the promised Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, we've all heard the preachers talk about that, how just as you would drop a rock in a pond and there's concentric ripples, the gospel started in Jerusalem and eventually it's going to make its way to the whole world. And we've all heard the preachers say, and as soon as it gets to the whole world, then the end will come. And we act like it hasn't made it to the whole world yet, even though Colossians 1.23 said the gospel has been preached in all creation. Even though in Romans chapter 10, around verse 18, it says, have they not heard? Of course they have. His word has made it to the whole earth. But we, again, thinking it's up to us to come up with the big picture, to come up with a plan and come up with a strategy. And how can we get bigger crowds when Jesus went away from the crowds? How can we get more people here when Jesus actually said, don't tell anybody? We then start thinking to ourselves, we're going to we got to get Jesus said we're to go into all the world. So we've got to do that. Let me show you something that many of you have probably never seen. Have you not thought to yourself that God used the disciples and eventually, as they started to spread the word, and then they told other people, and they told other people, and they told other people, eventually it's going to spread. We thought that that's how it's worked, right? Go to Acts chapter 2. You're in Acts chapter 1. Look at Acts chapter 2 and look at verse 5. Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. By the way, that's right in the middle of the beginning of chapter 2 where it talks about the Holy Spirit coming on them and the tongues of fire and all this stuff. And then the next verse says, these people heard the sound. Who heard the sound of what God was doing in that upper room? Devout Jews who knew the word from every single nation under heaven. Guys, I'm going to say this as lovingly as I can. Stop coming up with strategies to reach your neighborhood. God already has it. Just do the thing that he's asked you to do. And don't try to come up with a plan to reach your neighborhood. You've heard preachers say, if you've lived in your neighborhood for 20 years and you haven't knocked on every single door, you're a sinner. No. Maybe God doesn't want you to knock on every single door. That doesn't make sense to us, Jim. Because don't you think? Ah, that's the problem. His ways are not our ways. And our ways are not his ways. I'm going to challenge you tonight to find out what it is that God's asking you to do and do that. I'm going to show you scripturally why that is in just a second. But when Jesus used the disciples to begin preaching, he had already brought people from every nation under heaven who were somewhat understanding of the Lord and his word there in Jerusalem. And don't you think they probably made it back out to wherever it was as well? He's way ahead of you, folks. He's way ahead of you. By the way, Paul understood that you, you may have a heart to go reach somebody else, but as you go to reach that person, God's going to use you to reach somebody else. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Look at verses 7 through 9. In Galatians 2, starting in verse 7, Paul says, On the contrary... When they, this is the leadership in Jerusalem, in the Jerusalem church, saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, the Jews. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. 
And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All right, so here Paul says, it became clear to us that God was telling us to go to the Gentiles and Peter was to go to the Jews. And the church even recognized it and they laid hands on us and sent, Paul says, they sent me and Barnabas out to the, to the Gentiles, Peter went to the Jews. All right, so go now to Romans chapter 11 and look at verses 13 and 14. Paul understands that as you go and do what God's asked you to do, He'll use you in other people's lives. In Romans chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, So I ask, did they, meaning the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make... Did I say 11, 11? Oh, I'm sorry, start in verse 13. Although that works though, start in verse 11, it works good. So go to verse 11, then we'll get to verse 13 and 14. So I asked, did they, the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Isn't that interesting? Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Why? To make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And we'll answer that question on the cruise ship, by the way. Verse 13, now I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch that I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Paul said, I'm going to be faithful to preach to the Gentiles because that's what God's called me to do. And I'm hoping that as I preach to the Gentiles, he'll speak to the Jews. But most of us would say, but nah, I think I'm going to go talk to the Jews. No, you don't have the plan. You don't have the plan. You don't have the big picture. I wrote in my notes here. You don't have the full plan. God does. Stop coming up with strategies and goals that you have to set and just do what he says to do and go where he sends you and leave the results to him. Now, I'm going to stop real quick because we all know 1 Corinthians 3 verses 5 through 7 where one plants, another waters. Who's the one that provides the increase? God. Okay, let me ask you a question. Why then do we focus so much on measuring how we're doing? Why, and this is a question and answer time here. Why have we been taught and why do we focus so much in our churches on are we growing? Are we reaching people? Are we accomplishing things? Why, have we, why are we focusing on that when the Bible doesn't teach us to focus on that? Measure success. But why? Why do we measure success? Why do we want to measure success? We want approval. Go ahead. We want to be considered a good steward of the blessings that he's provided. Well, we, that sounds good. But the real answer is, like I heard over here, it's our, our flesh. We want count credit. Because was Jeremiah faithful and a good steward of what God called him to do? Did anybody listen? No, at least not in his lifetime. Isaiah was a faithful steward of what God called him to do. But if you were to measure results, he would have quit. Jeremiah, actually, Jeremiah did try to. He said, man, you, you, you tricked me and deceived me. And I want to just quit, but I can't because it's a fire in my bones and I got to keep speaking. But there's a danger, folks, in measuring your results to see how you're doing. You want credit. I'm going to ask you a question. Jesus preached for three years, and the most we have recorded that responded in his lifetime were 500. We knew there's 120 in the upper room and 500 that all appeared on that mountain after he rose from the dead in Galilee. Peter had 3,000 respond in one message. Who was a better preacher, Jesus or Peter? 
Be careful. Do you remember growing up in church and up on the front of your churches were these plaques? How many in Sunday school last week, what the offering was? By the way, if some of your churches today, they don't put what the offering was last week, you threw a fit. You got to know. You got to know. I've been, I've been raised in churches. I've been a pastor for 20 plus years before I went into this traveling ministry 15 years ago. And I've been in those associational meetings where they have contests between churches and who's going to have the highest per capita giving and who's had the most baptisms. And I actually was at a church in Chicago, an associational meeting, and I was preaching on this subject to a group of pastors. When I finished, the director of missions got up and said, Jim, thank you very much for that talk. And then he said, OK, I want to ask a few questions. How many people, he says, second Baptist, how many are you going to baptize this coming year? And they say, we're going to baptize 100. He said, OK, first Baptist, how many are you going to baptize? Oh, we're going to baptize 200. And I sat there going, they didn't listen to a word I said. Then I just judged whether or not I was a good faith. No, I don't measure how I do anymore. I just do what God asked me to do when I leave the results to him. And actually, if you'll notice, Jesus trusted so much in the power of the word of God Remember last week we looked at how his word will not return void. It will accomplish everything that he sent out for it to do. That his word is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. He doesn't need us, but he uses us. But he'll only use those who will be willing to let him be God and have the full plan and just do what he asked you to do. In churches where I had become senior pastor, in both of the churches that I became senior pastor, we kind of didn't focus on the uh, visitation program. One church, we got rid of it totally. The other one, when I was here, it was there, but we didn't make it the big focus. And in both of those situations, when we stopped trying to intentionally figure out how we can reach more people, and we just did what God asked us to do, he grew those churches like you wouldn't believe. I mean, to the point that the one in Chicago went from 50 to 400, and I had churches calling me saying, what are you guys doing? What are your strategies? Could you teach us how to do it, too? And I said, we're literally hanging on to the seat of the Holy Spirit and we're going for the ride of our pants. You know, right, the Holy Spirit's pants going for the ride of our lives. We don't even know what the plan is. We're just following the Lord. We're just, just going along. And then when God brought me down here, the same thing. We didn't focus on anything except what do we believe God's leading us to do? And we did it. And God did an amazing thing. But people want to be able to say we did this and we did that and we did this and we did that and we wrote a book and we can sell it. And Jesus didn't seem to work that way. Now, here's the question that some of you have probably been thinking but afraid to ask. Jim, haven't things changed now? I mean, didn't Jesus instruct his disciples after his resurrection to go out into all the world and make disciples? Remember Matthew 28, 16 through 20? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, and I command you, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I'm with you always. Isn't it up to us now to go and do his work? The answer to that question is no. It is not changed. It is not up to us to go out and do his work. Number one, if, G if it was up to us, why would Jesus say that all authority had been given to him? And that he would be with us. Number two, in John 17, Jesus prays and he says that he's sending us out into the world just as he was sent into the world. Go real quickly to John 17. I want you to see Jesus' words for yourself. Go to John 17. Look at verse 18. John 17, verse 18. Jesus is praying for his disciples. 
He says in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Don't miss that. Now, you'll hear Jesus himself go to John 20. Jesus himself says that to the disciples in the upper room that first day that he rose from the dead on that Sunday, that evening. John 20, look at verses 19 through 22. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when he breathed on at this point, it's not the indwelling spirit that's going to come in chapter 2. This is just him in an Old Testament form, if you will, having the Spirit of God come upon them to empower them to do what it was they needed to do between then and when they actually received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because as you know, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But he commands them, if you read Luke's account, he commands them when he's with them that night to wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promised Holy Spirit. But he had already breathed on them, yes. But if that was the indwelling, Thomas missed it because he wasn't in the upper room at that time. And on the on second thing is this, it's just, could they even wait in Jerusalem for those, what we know now as 50 days, without his ability to do so? They couldn't even have waited. So he, but he says, as the Father sent me, so am I sending you. Well, how did Jesus go out into the world? He did nothing of his own will. He only did what the Father had him to do, and he only went where the Father told him to go. Do you ever see Jesus coming up with a strategy of how he's going to reach the neighborhood? Actually, if you follow it, it seems a little haphazard almost. Oh, let's go here now. Okay, let's go here now. But Jesus, a lot of cool stuff's happening right here now. Yeah, I know it looks like we're supposed to stay, but I need to move on. Go to Mark chapter 1. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at verses 35 through 39. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 39. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. He spends some time with the Father in prayer that morning. The disciples find him. They say, there's a crowd of folks that are looking for you. And he says, let's go somewhere else. Let me show you something that might be really hard for some of you, but I, I pray the Spirit of God to help you grasp this. Go to, uh, go to Acts chapter, I'm sorry, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16, and look at verses 5 and following. Paul says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go, for I don't want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you. And if the Lord permits, I will stay, so if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul says, look, I want to go spend some time with you, but I don't want to do it in passing. I want to stay for a while when I come. 
But I'm supposed to stay where I'm at. Why am I supposed to stay here in Ephesus, Paul said? Because God's opened a wide door for effective ministry. I'm supposed to stay. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and look at verse 12. Same guy writing this letter. When I came to Troas, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. We have a tendency sometimes to just look for the open door or the closed door. You ever heard people talk about that? If God's opened the door, walk through it. Be careful. Sometimes God's going to open a door and it's not for you to walk through. You need to know how the Spirit is leading. Uh, let me ask you this question. Are there not many open doors on this globe right now? Are there lots of areas of ministry? I mean, there's tons of places you can get involved in the seafarers ministry up at the port or uh, the pregnancy resources ministries and, and youth ministries and orphanage ministries. Aren't there a lot of open doors? God's opened a lot of doors. How are you going to know which one you're supposed to go through? Uh, you better pray. You need to, as Jesus was sent into the world, we've been sent into the world. And Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 19 says, the son does nothing by himself. He only does what the Father tells him to do. Go to John chapter 12. Look at verses 47 through 50. In John chapter 12, starting in verse 47, Jesus said, If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I don't judge him. For I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say, as the Father has told me. Jesus says, I don't say anything unless the Father told me to say it. By the way, the John, Gospel of John tells us that Judas was stealing from the treasury. Do we ever see anywhere that Jesus talked to him about it? Did Jesus know? I'm sure there was a lot of stuff Jesus knew. Did he deal with it all? Folks, you're going to find his yoke is easy and his burden is light when you only do what he has you to do. And you don't fall prey to the human mindset of, let's come up with a plan. Let's come up with a strategy. No, you just walk with Jesus every single day of your life and you'll end up exactly where you're supposed to be, exactly when you're supposed to be there. Go to John chapter 14. Jesus not only said only what the Father told him to do, you're about to see something even deeper. When Jesus did anything and said anything, he didn't even do it. John chapter 14, look at verses 8 through 10. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. In the New Testament, we see Jesus through the Holy Spirit guiding and directing who goes where and when. 
Even though he said, go into all the world and make disciples, he doesn't say, and come up with a good strategy to do that, and you better hurry up because as soon as you get it to the whole world, then I can finally come back. Do you know how miserable it would be if he was really waiting on us? Oh, by the way, that's why a lot of the preaching we grew up with sounded the way it did, because we've been believing that it is up to us. And if you don't tell them, they may never hear. You ever heard that kind of preaching? It's not biblical. It's not true. If you don't tell them, and you're supposed to, you're going to miss out on a reward and a blessing. But don't worry, they'll still hear. No one's going to stand before God and say, you know, I really wanted you in heaven, but so-and-so wouldn't talk to you. <laughs> I'll get with him. He's going to be in heaven, but I'm going to get him. But, uh, you know, but no, it's not how it works. But listen. We kill ourselves by coming up with what we think are good ideas and strategies. And how can we reach our neighborhood? How can we reach everybody here in, in, in Indy Atlantic or wherever we are? But God said, what if I didn't want to use you to reach Indy Atlantic? What if I want to use you to go here or there? Oh, and don't worry. I'm so, I, my plan's so amazing and so intricate. As I'm sending you over here, I'm going to use you in someone else's life. Give me a, let me give you a good example. Go to Acts chapter 16. Go to Acts chapter 16. Look at verses 6 through 10. You're right, John. He can take a stone and turn it to bread if he wants to. He can use a donkey if he has to. He doesn't need you and me. Go to Acts chapter 16. Look at verses 6 through 10. And when they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Stop. Didn't Jesus already say, go into all the world and make disciples? Didn't he command them to go into Asia? I mean, that's part of the whole world, isn't it? But we're to go out into the world in the same way that Jesus was sent into the world. And he only went where the Father told him to go. They were going on their plan, but at least they were listening. That's what I love about it. They were listening. So the Spirit doesn't let them speak the word in Asia. Stick with me. It gets pretty cool. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them. By the way, first off, I love the fact that Paul and his people that are traveling with him don't say, let's just go home or sit in the uh, you know, Super 8 until we get a word from the Lord of where we're supposed to go. No, he had already said go. So they're looking. They're trying to go, but they're listening as they go. I don't want any of you to hear this message and go say, well, I'm just going to wait home until I know where God tells me to go. Uh-uh. You've already been told to go. But as you're going, as you're trying to speak, be listening. Be listening as to whether or not God wants you to share with this person or here or not share with this person. Every guy that's standing on the corner with his cardboard sign, are you supposed to help every single one of them? No, not everyone. Mm -mm. There are going to be some that God leads you to do something. There are going to be other times God doesn't. There are going to be times that God tells you to give them money. There's going to be times God tells you don't give them money. Well, my policy is I never. It'll be careful. But Jim, don't you think it's not wise to give these people money? Do you understand how we have started to function in the flesh for so long with our own human reasoning, with our own wisdom? You do what the Father tells you to do. And you watch God do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. And don't judge results on whether or not you think you did right. Oh, it worked out. It must be the will of God. Didn't work. Must not be God's will. We functioned that way for too long. So... Tries to go into Asia, but the Spirit won't let them. They then keep looking for where they would go. They're trying to reach the people with the gospel. They can't help it. They want to tell people, that's great, that's awesome, don't lose that. They tried to go into Mysia, but the Spirit said, that's not where I want you to be. Keep reading. 
verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So now, as they're trying to go, they have a heart to reach people with the gospel. God told them to do that. As they're going out to do it, they're listening as they go, and Paul has this vision. God gives him a dream one night, and in the dream, there's a man of Macedonia saying, come preach the gospel to us. If you know the rest of the story, I don't have for the sake of time, time to keep reading but if you know they get to Macedonia, and they get to Philippi, and they look for a place of prayer. They look for where people are seeking the Lord. Remember, if anybody's even seeking God, God's done His work when He sent His disciples out. Look for where I'm at work. Let your peace go out. If it's received, stay. If not, move on. So they're looking for where people are seeking God, and they find a place of prayer, and there's some women down there. And the first convert in Macedonia is who? Lydia, a lady named Lydia. Hang on. Didn't Paul see a man in the dream? Yet the first convert was a woman. Be careful of thinking that you can figure God out. How bad would it have been for Paul to say, I'd love to talk to you, Lydia, but um, I saw a man in my dream and I've got God all figured out and I'm going to find a man here. No, don't try to figure him out. If God's working and you believe the Spirit's telling you to talk to him, go talk to him. Don't try to figure it out. She becomes the first convert in Europe. Oh, by the way, she was a seller of what? Purple. By the way, do you know anything about purple in that day? It was expensive. Only the royalty had it. It was unbelievably expensive to make purple. If she's a seller of purple, the girl's got money and she's got influence. And the Bible says that she was from a city called Thyatira. Anybody want to take a wild guess at where Thyatira is? It's in Asia. It's in Asia. Did you catch that? Paul tried to go into Asia. The Spirit says, I'll get you into Asia, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to get you into Asia, but I've already got the plan. I've already got it all worked out. You don't got to come up with a strategy to reach your neighborhood. I'm already doing all stuff you can't even imagine on levels you would never understand, and you're not supposed to. Just do the simple thing I've asked you to do. Go ahead. The other thing was there was a man that said, come and help us, but there wasn't 10 men to have a synagogue. Exactly. There wasn't even 10 men to have a synagogue. But again, stop trying to figure it out. Stop putting pressure on yourself. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. You know, when Just a Preacher Ministries got started years ago, I had plans. I had goals. I had strategies. I mean... I had planned that by this point I was going to be speaking at conventions around the nation and I'm going to be the keynote speaker at this Southern Baptist Conference or this, that, or the other. And over the years, God said, did I ever tell you that that was my plan for you? No, but it, I kind of thought it was. No, I just asked you to go preach wherever I told you to preach. And you just go where I tell you and you do what I tell you to do and you leave the results to me. And you know what? I've had the best time doing it. The more I rest in him, the more I see him do stuff, and I can look you in the eye when you'll say, how is it happening? I have to say, still don't know. I still don't know. Let me ask you as we close tonight. When Jesus um, told his disciples to go out into that crowd of over 5,000 people and have them sit down in groups of 50s and 100s and to take five loaves and two fish, 
and pass it out amongst all those. Their question was, how will this feed so many? Here's my question for you. Did it feed so many? How? How, how did it? Does anybody know how yet? We don't know. I love the fact that we still don't know. We still don't know. Did it happen that it multiplied as soon as he prayed? It became a bunch and they just passed it all out. Did it happen that as they were passing the basket, it just never ran? We don't know how it happened. And I'm glad we don't. Because if we knew, we would what? Try to make it happen again. You ever notice sometimes Jesus spits on people. Sometimes he spits in the mud. Sometimes he doesn't spit at all. He doesn't even use the same method. What's he trying to teach us? You trust him. Follow him. Rely on him. Don't come up with strategies to reach your neighborhood. It sounds spiritual. It isn't. It's fleshly. Jesus would do what the Father told him, and he would tell people, don't say anything. Or he'd say, you can say, but only after I've risen from the dead. Or I do want you to speak. I want you to talk to the priest, but don't tell the people in the village. Oh, Jesus, I want to go with you. You've just healed me from a legion of demons. That's fine. But I'd rather, I want you to go home. He's got the plan. Follow his. It might even include ending up on a cruise ship. And that's where I'll be next week. So I love you. We'll see you in a few weeks. Thanks for coming.